It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lee. It's the Wednesday edition of Daily Thunder, and we're going through a five-part series called The Secrets of Intimacy. This is part three, because each day of this week, usually I'm just going to do the Daily Thunder on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and on Sunday, but and Nathan is going to usually be the Tuesday, Thursday. We decided that it would be good to just do five straight days on this topic because of what we're doing in the advanced training, which is uh, which started on Monday morning, a study on devotional excellence. It's going to be five weeks, just focused specifically on that. It's very exciting. Uh, so this is a good foundation. So I'm taking a hiatus from my World War II series to talk about something that seems like the exact opposite, doesn't it? <laughs> intimacy. Go from war to intimacy. Doesn't that sound like the grand dynamic of the kingdom of heaven right there? Uh, this one is called The Power of Remembrance. It's a hard one to, to title because it, it, you, you'll understand as we progress too because there's so many different terms I could use. Remembrance is one term. Imagine this one. Just to give you an idea, if you, if you know what the word law means, it's like, yeah, I could call it the power of law, And that means to pause and consider. And it's an interesting tool that you're going to see throughout the Psalms because there will be an incredible truth spoken and then it's like, hey, don't just keep moving on. I want you to remember that. I want you to think upon that. And it's actually a command to actually remember or to law. The other one we could use is memorialize. Uh, there's a, a concept in the Old Testament of making memorials of things. They would build piles of stones. And so there's these ideas uh, in, in relationships, like say in a romantic relationship, if I went and I, I picked up uh, flowers for Leslie on the way home, I said, oh, I'll get her a card too, and then I get in the car and I write a little note to it, uh, and then I get home and I hand that to her, what am I showing? I'm actually showing a form of remembrance, but it's not called that. It's called thoughtfulness. See, thoughtfulness is showing that when someone is not in your presence, you are remembering them. You are thinking upon them, and it's very special to the person that you remember. And so when you recognize the kingdom of heaven is based on the same principle, there are so many things that are not going to be right in front of you right now, and yet God is saying, I need you to remember them. I need you to create avenues of remembrance or trigger points in your life where you will constantly go back to this and remember. Think about what we do in the church. God is literally saying, I need you to remember this. And so the church is going to go out of its way. Some, some uh, churches, it's every week. Sometimes it's every month. Sometimes churches do it once a year. Depends on the church. And that's communion, where we literally take this meal together and we remember the Lord Jesus. We remember what he did on the cross. Now, technically, as a Christian, you better be remembering that a lot more than even once a week, you know, and that's, that's like a really hyperactive church is when they're taking communion once a week, but as Christians, I would say not just every day, I would say every minute of every day, you need to remem- be remembering the work of Jesus and what he did, who he is and what he has done, and so as a result, what's going to cultivate a life that is going to remember this often and always? That's what this is. This is an attribute or a secret of intimacy. And so as a result, just as I should never detach from the realities that I'm a married man, 
and I should remember that, and I should hold on to it. I should live out of that, just as I should never detach from the fact that I am a father of six, just as I should never detach myself from the fact that I have students that need to be stood for and, and fought for here at Ellerslie. The same is true that I need to remember that I'm a child of the Most High God, that I represent him in everything I do. And so when I'm walking down the street and people are watching my life, I want to showcase the goodness of God in what they are seeing. I want them to witness God's nature, but I need to remember that I'm a flow-through channel. And so as a result, remembrance becomes a very critical dimension of our walk with God, and very specifically in regards to our intimacy with God. My clicker isn't working. I'm not sure what's going on there. Oh, is it have to? Oh, it's from this, the clicker? Okay. Oh, you just grabbed something and you're on your way. All right, we're, we're waiting to get uh, the clicker set up here. That was easy. We're in Joshua chapter 4, 4 through 7. And if you remember at the start of the book of Joshua, the Jordan River is going to part and the nation of Israel is going to walk across on dry land. Supernatural. And they're entering into the land of promise. Key event, it parallels so much in our own Christian life. Joshua, the same name as Jesus. And who's going to lead us into the land of promise? Jesus, the second man. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you, take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Now, I don't know how many of you walk around, you see a rock, and you're like, hey, what does this rock mean? You wouldn't say that. Why? Because it's normal to have a rock just sort of sitting there in, the, in, in that bed. But when there's a pile of stones, the entire culture uh, that God was creating of the Israelite culture was one that recognized signal and symbol. And so as a result, a pile of stones would trigger the kids to go, and what does this mean? Hey, Dad, I see another one over here. What does this mean? And so as actu actu in actuality, the landscape of this very nation was set to bring forth remembrance. Isn't that a fascinating statement? How about the landscape of your very life? When you go through your day, that there can be things that trigger remembrance that you even set up there. Did you know that some people do that all the time? They actually set things. It's like the sticky note on the, 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 mirror, the bathroom mirror when you're brushing your teeth. It's like, remember to take out the garbage. It's like, oh, I need to do that. Or remember Uncle Billy in uh, It's a Wonderful Life. He has all these little strings around his fingers. Hopefully we don't need to look like Uncle B Billy or act like Uncle Billy or drink like Uncle Billy. But uh, there are different methods that people have used throughout the ages and generations to bring forth remembrance throughout their day. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. Now think about that. That's, that's a statement of the nature of our king. When he does wonderful works, which he does all the time, he does them with an intent that we would remember them. It's, it, that's our job. His job is to do the wonderful works. Our job is to remember them. Isn't that a funny thing? Have you ever had it where you think, I will never forget this? And then what? What is it? Less than 24 hours later, you've already forgotten it? How does that work? 
How, why is it that you can I'll never forget this. I'll remember this every day of my life. And then you don't. You see, if you don't do something to remember, to help yourself remember, you actually forget. It's a, it's a weird phenomenon, but it's just how it works. And so he has made his wonderful works to be remembered. Well, then let's remember them. That's one of the ways that we cherish him. It's, it's like if, if your spouse did something very special for you and they did a, uh, a, a wonderful work, then it's important that you say thank you, that you remember. It's like, oh, I remember when you did this for me. I mean, that's actually what makes them feel good. I mean, when my mom would cook a meal uh, for us as a family, there's the most simple thing is to remember after the meal to say thank you. Well, actually, it really helps during the meal to get seconds or thirds, okay? That was my mom's love language, right? And then even to make some scrumptious sounds, like some mmm, mmm. See, that's what, it, what that is, even if it wasn't mmm, is it's a signal to my mom of love. It's what she needs to hear. She's made this wonderful works uh, or this wonderful meatloaf to be remembered and to have some scrumptious sounds given, okay? And so there's still something baked into the way we work with God that when he does a wonderful work, we remember. One of the, bless you, uh, one of the things that goes through my mind a lot is that I don't want to ever take for granted the gifts that God gives. Like if someone, say someone donates to Ellerslie, well, I want to uh, find ways to say thank you for that, right? But what I, I don't want to say thank you to just the human dimension of it and forget to say thank you to the God dimension of it. Does that make sense? But it, it can happen. You could say thank you to the God dimension, forget to say thank you to the human dimension. It's just a very easy thing to do because we're busy people. And so he has made his wonderful works to be remembered. And so for us to go out of our way to do things that help us remember. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, of course, in reference to the great work uh, of the cross and what we understand as the Lord's Supper practice in the church, do this in remembrance of me. He's done a wonderful work. And so what we, we're supposed to do something so that we remember that wonderful work. I've spent a lot of time uh, in my life dealing with human memory. I don't know how many of you have ever studied human memory. Extremely fascinating topic of discussion. Well, even when we first started Ellerslie, I was, one of the thoughts I had was that we would have an entire course, maybe at the advanced level, uh, where we teach memory because it's one of those passion points I've had. I used to teach uh, public speaking and so I had a basic uh, communications course and then I had an advanced communications course and then I had so much demand for one beyond that so we called it super advanced. <laughs> and in the super advanced we dealt with memory and it was so intriguing. So you had these students that were like knocking on my door saying let's keep going, let's keep going. So they were, they were hungry, they were ready. And it was quite the course. I mean, what we were doing uh, in memory of how to organize your mind as a speaker without notes. And so that you could actually uh, build an entire message. So you could speak for an hour without notes and actually know what you're going to say. I mean, how do you do that? And so it was based on the ancient Greek method of how their orators because uh, that was one of the things ancient Greek culture was known for, is their oratories. And so these orators, lawyers, uh, would, would get up and make their case, and they would present their ideas. And you would hear them say the words, in the first place, and what that is, is it's a trigger. You see, what they would do is they would take a place that they were familiar with. Like, let's say, take the campus here. You guys are 
familiar with the campus. And imagine the first place is walking into the lake house and you, you see the tile floor and you see the reception desk off to the right. And so in your mind, you're going to stick some thoughts and your arguments in there and you're going to arrange them in the first place. And so what the orator would do is they would walk in into something they are familiar with and they would have over here on that little side table, you guys know when you get, you get your mail or your packages, you're going to stick one of your key arguments there. It's a key thought. And so it might be a fuzzy bear, which triggers something in your mind. And you're going to take the fuzzy bear and hold it. And you're going to set it on top of this box over here, and the bear is going to bounce, right? And so that's going to trigger your next thought. And then you're going to walk behind the reception desk and pull a drawer open and get a pencil out. In your mind, I mean, you literally are doing this and you're creating your argument for the first place. And then you're going to go to the second place and the third place and the fourth place and the fifth place. And you're going to unpack your argument. Now, some of you are saying, it's going to take all my mental energy to remember all my places, let alone speak intelligibly. But that's part of the coordination of your mind and your tongue. And that's what an, an excellent speaker is, is they know how to arrange their thoughts at the same time speak them. So they're always creating thoughts for the next statements. It's like a, a train car where they, they have the train car. They're on this car, but they actually know the cars behind it that are, that are following. And that's just how thoughts are organized. So when I was studying human memory, uh, there were certain things that I recognized were critical to how the mind works. God created us to remember. That's, that's the key starter point. It's not like some discovery of the uh, secular world to realize, hey, we could work on memory. I mean, God created us to remember, and he gave us certain attributes of memory that are very interesting, and that is that it needs to work off of previous understanding. You have, like a, a baby has a tough time remembering a lot because they don't have any previous understanding. So what happens throughout your life is you begin to build building blocks, or I always call honey sticks. They're things that other things can stick to. For instance, if I started teaching quantum physics in here, but we didn't know how to count, and we didn't even know the basic number line, and we didn't understand basic addition, subtraction, we would be lost so quickly because we don't even know the most basic things of God's creation, let alone jumping to rocket science or quantum physics. Okay, in other words, those things are understood because you learn this. If you're going to learn math, you learn numbers first. You need to understand values. Like, what is two? If you don't know what two is, then what good is it to start with addition and go, if I said to you, two plus two equals four, you're like, what's two? What's plus? What's four? What's equals? You don't know what those things are, and as a result, it's nonsense to your mind. But when you know what a two is, when you know what a plus is, and when you know what an equals is, and you know what a four is, you actually can reason together with me if I said, guess what, guys? Two plus two, and you're like, okay, I know what a two is. I know what a plus is. Now we're going back to that two, and we put two of them there. Whoa, two plus two equals, and then you lean in. What does it equal? And I go, you figure it out. You see, if you know the value of two, and you know the value of another two, and you put those together, and you stir them around in your crock pot, kaboom, you get four. And your mind goes, that is extraordinary. But you wouldn't know that unless you had previous understanding. Does that make sense? Most of us are thinking, well, everyone knows that. No, not everyone knows that. Which is why when you are building memory, you're building upon something, okay? To understand literature, <clears throat> you need, it's like say you are supposed to write an essay. Well, you know that's very difficult to write an essay if you don't even know what a letter is. 
If you don't know what letters are in, in your language, and you don't know what the letters mean, like, for instance, you could see an A, and someone could say, that's an A. That means nothing to you. You need to know what an A does. What is the function of an A? An A says, ah. An A says, a. Right? And so it could say, ah. And so there's various phenomenons of that A. It's like, that's weird. Why does it say different things? Well, we'll get to that. Okay? But a B says, b. It's like, huh, fascinating. So that's a B. But it also can look like this, the capital version. Whoa, this is confusing. Right? But as you begin to put these things together, you now can begin to build a word like cat. You know what a C is, you know what an A is, you know what a T is, and now you can put them together. What does a C say? And then someone says, S. No, oh, yes, it can say that. But in this case, it says, K. Okay, and so it says, K. And then what does the A say? A? Well, it can, but in this case, it says, ah. So it's like, K. Ah. What does a T say? T. Good, good. So what does that say? K. Ah. T. <laughs> and you're like, whoa! And you see it, but that understanding. Now when you see the word cat, you say, oh, that's cat. For most of us, we don't even ponder. We don't go phonetically work our way through cat and go, <laughs> we don't work our way through that because we already have previous understanding. So cat, the word cat is in our previous understanding, which means it can be built upon, okay? And this is how memory works. So if you're going to understand how to write an essay, you better learn letters. And then you better learn how to put those letters together into words. What you then can begin to build is what's called vocabulary. Then you begin to put grammar together. You begin to link these words together in an intelligent way, which makes sense. And then you create punctuation to separate out thoughts. Then you create paragraphs. And a paragraph separates out ideas. You're like, this is amazing. And you can do it, but you can't do it immediately. You have to build it. Now let's go to your spiritual life. If you're going to grow up and reveal the kingdom of heaven, what do you need? You need the grammar. You need the basic movements. You need the numbering. You need the letters of the kingdom of heaven. And it's different than the letterings just of math or the numbers of math and the letters for an alphabet and a language. It is a language of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto. And so Jesus is going to come in. And he's going to begin to reveal to us this other realm. And he's going to begin to give us the ABCs and the one, two, threes. And when you take in those basic elements, God can begin to build upon them. But what if you keep forgetting the basic elements? God's going to have a tough time growing you up. So you're still on milk and you can never eat the meat. God wants to grow us up. So human memory is extremely fascinating in that regard. When I was, if you say previous understanding, uh, I, I, I created a game this would be, a, I have to admit, this would be really fun for us to do just in our spare time, which I know in the advanced program we don't have a lot of it. But uh, we had a chessboard. A chessboard has 64 uh, boxes on it. Uh, and so you had two teams, so you divided up both teams, and the teams couldn't talk to each other. Okay, they had to study the board and watch what was happening and listen very closely, even if it wasn't their turn. And then the teams, each of the teams, which might have had like 12 people each, okay, they would rotate through turns. And, but each turn matters, you know, it bases upon the turns before. And of course, chess is an active game where you're trying to figure out your moves and strategies. But this really had nothing to do with chess. This was, chess was merely the vehicle through which we did it, because I don't even know that we ever finished a game of chess, like no one ever got someone into checkmate. I mean, that I can remember, right? But to be able to move your piece, like say it's your turn and you're on team A, to be able to move your piece, 
There's 64, and let me start with this. There's 64 uh, blocks on the board. And so you, as an individual, need to create your loci. That's your location. That's the Greek word for location. You need to create your location. So you could use the campus here if you were here. You could use your home, back home, something that you know really well. Okay, and then you're going to create 64 stops in that location for each one of these squares. So that's going to be your location. And then the first move that you make, like say you move from this one square to this one with your pawn, you need to leave something behind in that previous location. And then uh, if you're the first one to move to that other square, then when you leave it, you're going to leave something behind in it. So now anyone that moves to the square that you're on, which let's say it's square 23 that you left, well, now you're going to leave behind a thing. And so you leave behind the fuzzy bear, right? Now the next time someone moves to that square, if they want to take that square, they need to actually say there's a fuzzy bear in there. Okay, that's, so you need to all remember, everyone that's watching needs to remember that. Now, when you leave, the next time you leave a square, you're going to leave a smell in it. And the next time you leave the square, so now there's a fuzzy bear and the smell of broccoli in there. Now, the next time you leave the square, you're going to leave a feeling in there. And so maybe it's going to be trepidation. Okay, so you, next time someone comes into that square, they have to say, fuzzy bear, and this is just one of 64 squares, fuzzy bear, the smell of broccoli, trepidation. So you need to organize that in your room 23. So you're like sticking a fuzzy bear over here, and you're having that fuzzy bear, uh, you know, sitting in some broccoli or something, uh, or you turn him green, or you make him look like broccoli, whatever helps your mind, and then you need to have trepidation in the room. And this keeps going. The next one was a sound that you needed to leave in there. So it's like the sound of a car crash or metal crushing. It's like, oh, don't do that to me. What, you have 64 squares. Could you imagine? So all 24 of these people are staring at this board. They're not thinking about chess. They don't care about winning the game. They're just holding on for dear life. But here's what's interesting. Even the person that would probably say they're the least qualified to have a good memory, like, oh, I can't remember anything, can do it. Now, what's ridiculous about something like that is that means nothing in the landscape of you know, eternity. Who cares about square 23 that there's a fuzzy bear in it, the smell of broccoli, trepidation, and, and the sound of crushing metal? I mean, who cares, right? And yet, when you realize what the human brain is capable of doing if it's simply organized, it's shocking. It's amazing what you can hold on to. And that's, that's the reason I do it, is just to say, hey guys, you can remember. Don't tell yourself you can't remember these things. You actually can. So this is taken out of context, it's misused, but for the sake of humor in this. And so I just want you to know, I'm, I'm doing this on purpose, the memory of the righteous is blessed. Isn't that great? Now it's supposed to be saying, the memory of your life, you know, as a righteous person is going to be remembered well. Okay, that's what it's actually talking about. However, if you ever need a little encouragement in regards to your, uh, your memory, just take this uh, Proverbs 10, 7 out of context and enjoy it. Relish it a little. The memory of the righteous is blessed. <coughs> So different facets of remembering. So meditation is one of the key words that we could use for remembrance. The problem with the word meditation is it's been taken hostage, okay? We have transcendental meditation. We have all sorts of new age in regards to the word meditation, which gives it a little bit of a sour uh, hue to many of us. When in actuality, if I were to use the word biblical meditation, see, transcendental meditation is like 
going brainless and you're like, uh, and you lose your brain, you just open up to all these weird things, right? That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is actually an active engagement of the mind. It is an exercise of the mind. It's a very high use of the mind, thinking and meditating upon the truth of scripture, the truth of God. And it's almost like taking a diamond and looking at all its facets in all the light. And that's what meditation would be like. Thoughtfulness, I, I explained that earlier. That would be a term we would use for any type of relationship. I could be thoughtful to my kids. I could be thoughtful to you guys and bring in donuts uh, for you guys. And some of you are like, yeah, that would be nice. Uh, and obviously, Eric isn't a very thoughtful person. I mean, how come he didn't bring in donuts? But that's the type of thing where I'm thinking about you guys. I'm like, you know, that would be really special for them. So I swing by King Supers, and I grab some donuts. And then I think, oh, you know, and Fairlight really likes maple uh, uh, donuts. And so I get a special uh, donut for, uh, for Fairlight. That's what that's what we do as Christians. That's what we do as spouses. That's what we do as parents. That's what we do as friends. And it actually is very valuable. What if we did that as Christians? What if we thought, oh, I know God loves this. And so we go out of our way. God loves it. God, I know God would care about that person over there. And God would want to hug them. And so we go over there and hug them. In other words, it's not just because we feel like doing it. It's because we know that would make God smile. We're thoughtful of God. We're getting him a maple donut. My mom loves maple donuts, so if you ever want to be thoughtful to my mom, you get her a maple donut. She, like, scours the countryside to find all uh, stores that have maple uh, bars. That's, like, her favorite. She doesn't like the filling on the inside. She's just like a good maple bar, okay? And so just remember that. She's up in uh, Michigan, and she could not believe that there was a donut shop without maple bars. She was telling me that one day. I mean, (laughs) it's Michigan where they have maple trees, and they don't have any maple bars at this one donut shop. That doesn't make any sense to me. And I go, I understand, Mom. Uh, I understand. (laughs) memorializing is another term for it. In other words, when you're going to build a pile of stones, you're memorializing something. And I don't know if any of you have ever memorialized anything. And, and yet, it's, it's not something that maybe we are trained in as much anymore as in the ancient cultures. But I tell you what, it's critical. If you memorialize, like for instance, I, I, I've kept a journal for years. And so if something significant happens, I used to keep it every day. Now it's like I, I go from major event to major event just to, so I remember it. Uh, but there's a lot of other ways to memorialize. I've had so many thoughts over the years of having a memory wall where I will put like something up on the wall and every time something significant or an answer to prayer happens. I've thought about a pathway where I'll stick a rock in. And I haven't ever been able to get to any of my grand ideas that I've done. So I'm still, you know, mainly the journal thing is my thing. But oftentimes I'll write books too. I mean, I do, do things that most people don't. And so I'll publish a book, like 20 years of remembrance of my marriage with Leslie. It's called Barracks 28. And, you know, it's, it's extremely powerful, and it's a memorial. And I've written, when, when dreams come true, his perfect faithfulness before that, I've written down these stories. Wrestling prayer is a memorial. Uh, and so I have all sorts of different things that I've done over the years that have actually memorialized uh, events in my own life. A word that we don't typically use as much anymore is consideration. Consideration is sort of a bland word in the English language now. It's lost a little of its Tabasco. It used to have a lot more oomph to it, but it's, it's now, like I've, I've, you've oftentimes heard me say, the word happy could be exchanged for glad. But glad, glad has lost its Tabasco too. It used to mean supreme happiness. Now it just means sort of like, oh, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad. And like, is that all you are is glad? And the same is true with consideration. When consideration is actually a powerful movement of the mind and the soul to hold on to something. And so I want to just uh, give you the etymology of consideratio. 
It means a beholding or a looking at. And so if you're going to consider something, you're going to study it. You're going to study it to know it. Now look at the other thing. Also, a keeping in mind. Isn't that an interesting way of saying it? Consideration is a keeping in mind. Now what we mean by that and what it actually means, that means to keep it in your mind. Not like, I'll keep that in mind. Which means I'm going to forget it after I finish this conversation with you. Yes, I'll keep that in mind. That's like a water off a duck's back type of comment. It's like, yeah, I don't really care about what you're saying, but I'll keep it in mind. When in actuality, it means to keep it in mind. <laughs> that means I'm going to hold on to it. I'm not going to let it go. Also, contemplation or reflection. So at the very uh, bottom, it says to look at closely or to observe. Isn't that interesting? We need consideratio. Deuteronomy 11.18 we reference this, I want to say on Monday, but I, I can't remember when it was. You shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. Lay up. Isn't that a fascinating uh, mental picture? To lay them up. It's almost like stocking the shelves. I want you to make sure this is on your shelves. You shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now what would be the thing about the back of a hand and the frontlets of eyes. These are things you're going to see throughout the day. And so if something is hanging here, and you're like trying to, it's just wherever you're at, you have something hanging from your helmet or your hat that is like just sort of sitting there going, yep, yep, I see it, I see it. It's like the equivalent of Uncle Billy having the, the, uh, the little strings tied around his fingers. It's like, yeah, put it there so that you don't forget it. Put it on the back of your hand. Now, some of you, you know, you haven't even seen yet, well, whether it's in this group, uh, you know, you write little notes on your hand and, and things like that. Why? Why would you do that? So that you'd remember it. You're trying to hold on to something. You're thinking, okay, that's the most logical spot for me to re reference. If you were to write it, you know, back here on your back, you know, could you write it there? You know, you have one of your buddies write it there, which would be awkward, uh, I have to admit. Uh, you're not going to see it. It doesn't say write it on your back. Write it on the back of your hand. Put it in front of your eyes. Lay it up so that you would remember. This is, this is a command. How many of us ever think of remembrance as a command? You're supposed to remember. And you say, yes, Lord. It's not just a bonus option. Like, you know what could really help you? Remember. No, you're supposed to do it as a function of the kingdom of heaven. This is what we do as the saints of God. We remember what God does. So journaling, write this down for a memorial. That's what God is going to speak to Moses. He is going to encounter, Moses is going to encounter God for 40 days on Mount Sinai. And he is going to, what we would guess, okay, because we don't get the in-depth understanding, but God is going to unveil the pattern of the tabernacle to him. Now, I'm not saying that's a guess that he did. I know he did, but I don't know how he did it. Like if he showed it to him in a vision, if he just sat there and talked to him about it, I don't know, but I, my guess is that he saw it because he's going to say, uh, build it as according to the pattern as shown thee in the mount. Okay, that's the way it's going to say. So I showed you something on the mountain, so build it that way. So my guess is that he saw it. It wasn't just described to him. Whether it was a vision or he walked through it, I don't know. But then he's going to come down from the mountain and God is going to tell him, write that down. For what reason? For memorial. What does the word memorial trigger in your mind? For a memory. That you would hold on to it and not forget it. Memorial, memory. Oh, that's strange how similar those words are. 
They're memory stones. When they build a pile of stones, that's what they are. They're memorial stones. They're memory stones. So when you see those 12 stones sitting there, you'll remember what God did when he parted the, the Jordan River. When your children see them and they say, what are those stones? There's another pile, Dad. It's like, let me tell you about that, son. And then when their children ask them, they say, let me tell you about that, son. In other words, it's going to pass down from generation to generation. We're not going to forget this thing. For me, I started journaling after I read the book, The Shadow of the Almighty. So I read the book, The Shadow of the Almighty, which is basically, if you want to say it, it's Jim Elliott's journal. I tell you what, Jim Elliott was a powerhouse just in his journal. If you read Jim Elliott's journal, it'll deeply impact you. Shadow of the Almighty is a very, very powerful uh, book. And I remember realizing it's like, wow, what I, how I am blessed because this man wrote it down. And then Elizabeth Elliot's going to take what Jim Elliot wrote down and she's going to put it into a book and it's going to change my life. That impacted me. It's like, I want to remember what God does. And so actually one of the reasons I'm a writer today is because I started journaling then. And I journal every day. And I have stacks. I mean, I, I have massive amounts of writings that came out. Because when you're writing every day what you're observing, what you're seeing God do, what you're sensing God's saying. And, you, I mean, and then I started doing a tradition of actually writing little uh, memorial stones in the upper right-hand corner. So I would always write down, I would put my memorial stones first. If, there, if this was something like, God, I'm not going to forget this. I'd write the date. I'd write the time of day. I'd write where I was on earth, because I've been all over the world, right? Where I was at that exact time. And I would oftentimes title it. You remember how, you know, how I title my sermons? I would title my, devote, my, uh, my journal entries. And so as a result, they would be distinct in my mind. So I would remember even the journal entry, not just the pile of stones. But then I would go through, and I still do this. I'll go through old journals, and I'll look for piles of stones. Because it takes a lot. If you're going to read thousands of pages of something, you need a lot of time. But to actually just glance through a pile of stones. And then I look at it, and boom, a memory comes back. I mean, it's profound. And I, I've oftentimes gone back and seen that God does the same thing like every day of this one, this one date. He'll, he'll always, he'll repeat things, like a theme. Like, that's interesting. You wouldn't know it unless you actually were chronicling it. February 2nd is a very significant day in my life. And every February 2nd, I'm extremely anticipating, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely expectant of what God is going to do, and he always does something. You can say, what, how did you get that? Well, February 2nd is when I started my journal. And so it's, and I wrote a new beginning. I'd given my life to Christ radically. And I wrote it down, a new beginning, and that's where it began. And so every February 2nd, it's sort of like an anniversary date. And I look, and it's like, well, it's, this is our special day, God. And it's weird. God will speak to me in a very special way in that day. And he's been doing it for, what is it, 30 years? And so there, there are a lot of great memories in that. But I wouldn't remember it if I hadn't written it down. So what I have is uh, that my little... Uh, graphic of the pile of stones. I actually just picked one of these. I'm not sure why I picked this one, but uh, I, I was going through and I just picked one from back in 2001, just to give you guys a sampling, okay? So I have a pile of stones, which looks a little better when it's small. Uh, <laughs> when it's stuck on a screen, it's very bitmapped. And I give a title, an influence to millions over centuries, is what it says. And then I have April 23rd, 2001, 7.12 a.m., Monday, 1703 Whitehall Drive. So that means something to me, that you wouldn't know where to find that. You're just like, where's, that's, that's in Longmont, Colorado. And, and then this is what I wrote, and this is 
I'm just taking it and giving it to you. It's not a normal thing for me to do is just to share a journal entry, okay? <clears throat> there are seasons when seeking you seems easier than at other times. I have the hunger, but my lifestyle for some reason eliminates the opportunities. I desperately need you, Lord. I need you to intersect my life and assist me in changing it to revolve around you and your kingdom purposes. I want to live victoriously for you. Yesterday morning, we spoke in church, introducing our Thursday night gathering to the church. Afterwards, I reflected upon the amazing work you have done in granting us favor in the eyes of Calvary Church. We really do have a church body behind us. There are individuals in that church that wholeheartedly support the work you are doing in and through us. You have also granted us an authority in that church to speak boldly. Yesterday, I spoke strongly about not settling for mediocrity in our Christian walks, but pursuing more depth and more intimacy. Maybe this is why I picked it. It wasn't unusual for those who know me to hear me say it, but it is unusual for the congregation of Calvary Church. Yesterday afternoon, Rich and Janet, that's Leslie's parents, came over to our new home and we prayed over every room. It was an unforgettable time. Holy Spirit, you established your preeminence in this house. Our house was officially declared a sacred haven for the work of Jesus Christ in this world. I felt so strongly as we prayed over our creative office that that was an environment that you commanded that we keep holy and sacred and not allow compromise of any kind into that in that room music would be written that would change the lives of millions, and in that room messages would be written that would impact centuries of Christians. Isn't it weird to think that I was a musician back then, and I'm actually thinking of writing music in that room? I don't even, I don't even think that uh, anymore. Uh, where was I? As Rich and Janet laid their hands on us yesterday while we stood in our office, Rich prayed just that. I wish I could remember his exact words, but he prayed that we would be heroes of the faith, leaders that, would, that stand boldly for truth, messengers that craft messages that bring the glory of God to this earth, impacting not only this current generation, but generations for centuries to come. Enable us, Lord, to live up to that prayer. Please, Spirit of God, grant me grace and strength to overcome my weaknesses and live triumphantly for you. I dearly love you and cherish you, my precious Savior. Desiderio Domini. So that should, I mean, there's a lot of things that you have heard me teach that you have heard me say, even Desiderio Domini, it's a banquet night type of statement. I dearly long to be with my Lord. That's like part of the history. And I, I remember even saying, I, and I would always stick that at the end of my journal entries. I still will stick it at the end of my journal entries uh, when, I, when I write something. But what you see is you see a young Eric that is struggling to understand some of the things that you already know. But I didn't have someone teaching me. I didn't understand how to walk and live in triumph. I would have moments of triumph because I was thinking the right thoughts. What I was speaking was sound. I had a strong marriage. I had a deep passion for Jesus, but I was inconsistent in my passion, where I would be passionate, and then I would grow tepid, and then I would grow. I didn't know how to stoke intimacy. What you are getting is actually what I was needing back then. I was putting the pieces together, but I didn't know exactly how the whole package worked, and that's partly just because of the lack of discipleship, specific discipleship. The, the leaders in my generation, when I was growing up, had no idea how to give me what I was craving. I mean, believe me, I would ask. I would sit down with pastors and I'm like, I need to know this. They'd sort of stare at me like, yeah, so do I. I mean, it's like, oh, great, <laughs> wonderful. I didn't know where to go other than the word of God, the Holy Spirit, God, I need to be taught. You guys, I almost feel like, you're cheating, but you don't uh, realize it. You can skip so much. And I have a hunch, Dave, you in the back would say the same. It's like, wouldn't it be great <laughs> to just have tools as opposed to go through an entire, it's like we inherit this garage of our great granddad. And he has so many tools in there, but we have no idea what they are. They're just sort of, some of them are rusted over. We don't know how to use them. Because 
most of us, when we learn to use a tool, it's because someone is right by us going, let me show you how to use that. This is a and it works like this. Now watch me do it. Because you could give me a hammer and a nail and say this hammer is supposed to hammer in that nail. That doesn't mean I'm going to be really good at hammering in nails. Because I could hold the hammer upside down. I could you know, try and bonk it from the top with the handle part. I, but even how you fix a nail in and how you swing it is actually part of the art of hammering. And it's not just knowing that that's a hammer. You know, by definition, that's a hammer, and that's a nail, and hammers hammer in nails. That makes me good at hammering in nails. It's discipleship. And, you know, even in this, there's so many things that I would not remember. Okay, this is such an obscure thing, and even as I'm reading it, I'm fascinated personally. It's like, wow, I remember that. But it's like so far back, and it's not surface memory. It's like deep type of stuff, the type of stuff that, but I remember trembling as I would come into that study, and I remember that commitment that I made that this is a holy, holy, holy place. It's like remove your shoes, Eric. You're you're on holy ground. You are coming and engaging with the Holy Spirit to do work that will impact the church of Jesus Christ, and we wrote books in there. We wrote albums in there, and that was a place, it was like a sacred theater for the work of grace, and I remember this is where it started. And so I just happened to pick, but that's why I put a pile of stones there. And so all throughout my life, I have these piles of stones that when you put them together, if I just showed you all the piles of stones, it would just be like, it'd be my biography, basically. It's like you could get to know me really well by just looking at all the piles of stones journal entries that I have over the years. The shadow box strategy. So have you guys ever uh, seen a shadow box? I've never... Well, I shouldn't say I've never made one. I, I think I actually have, but I can't quite remember what, what the project was. I think I made it for my mom. But Shadow Box is like, you know, it's a, what, an inch or two deep, and it has a piece of glass you can open up the front, and then you can stick memories on the inside. So if you want to remember something, a Shadow Box is one of the, the concepts. And so you can take a whole trip and all your mementos from the trip. You have seashell in there. You have a picture up here, maybe a poem that you wrote when you were on the beach. And in so doing, you're able to very quickly, in looking at that box, trigger a memory. It's a pile of stones. And you're able to, I remember this one guy, he had uh, this wall in his house. And every time God would do something big, he would somehow put it into whether it's a picture or whether it's some kind of writing. And then he would frame it. And then as he'd walk down that hall, he would just glance at the wall and it would trigger all these key memories in his life to both show gratitude and thankfulness, but also to remember what God has done, to build faith, to remind us of why we believe. The ancient art of biblical meditation, readying the heart to worship, blowing upon the embers of affection, inciting the inner man toward praise. So in the, we could say ancient Christianity, the art of biblical meditation was what they would do before they would worship is they would meditate. It's like, how do you do that? Well, that's what we're doing right now. In other words, we're taking a truth and we're looking at it in the light of God. You're like, whoa, wow, that's interesting. And what it does is it warms the soul to say, Lord, I love you. Lord, thank you. And so the reason they would do that is a lot of us, we, we come in for worship and we're, we're just sort of like sleepy, sipping our coffee, going, oh boy, it's time, time to worship. And we're like, eh. and we sing the songs, but it's not because 
we've seen his beauty that we're declaring his beauty. We're just declaring his beauty because we know he's beautiful, fact. But when you see his beauty, it's a little different. When you, have be, when you see a sunset out here, I love being on this stage because I have a great view. It's over the, the lake, and it's, it's also going to be wonderful when the leaves are on the trees, and then you have, of course, when the wild turkeys run through the yard out there, uh, which happened the other day. That's fun, too. But when you see the, the, the swan or the geese out on the lake, and you see the, the, the trees with, full of leaves, and then you see the mountains in the distance, and then you see a sunset over that. Whew. Okay, now, imagine I see it, and I describe it to you. I'm like, guys, don't look. But there is a beautiful sunset. Okay, right now I can see green grass. I can see these bushes that are lovely. I can see some wild turkeys running through. I can see some birds in the trees. Oh, I just saw a bald eagle. Uh, and then, I oh, shimmering lake. Uh, there's a swan out on the lake. Oh, and beyond it, mountains. Purple mountains, majesty. And then, oh, it's roseate sunset, the cloudy sky. Oh, it's gorgeous. One of the most beautiful sunsets I've ever su- seen. Let's sing a song about the sunset. Okay, now you haven't seen it, but you're going to, based on my word, sing a song about it. So you're like, well, Eric, I trust your word, so oh, what a beautiful sunset. Oh, what a beautiful day. Okay, I feel like I need to sing that. Oh, that's seven brides for seven brothers, isn't it? Isn't that what I'm triggering? <laughs> is that what it is, or is that Oklahoma? What? Oh, okay. Oh, what a beautiful sunset. Oh, what a beautiful day. Oh, I can see the wild turkeys <laughs> running and running away. Uh, now that was pretty bad, but it was fun. Uh, see, that, if, if, I, if we just started singing a song, but you didn't witness it yourself, do you see that it's somewhat fabricated and hollow and plastic? How much more so? If we're talking about the glory of the king of the universe, God says, I want you to see it. I want you to know me. I don't want you just to sing about me as if you know it's fact, but it's a distant reality. I want you to encounter it and then respond. You see, when I see Leslie and I see her beauty, it's easy to say, you look beautiful tonight. But how ridiculous is it when she's on the other side of a door and I'm like, so are you getting ready? And then I say, by the way, you look beautiful tonight. It just seems a little strange, right? Because I haven't seen it. Now, I could guess, of course, you know, that's a logical guess, right? That she will look beautiful. And we know it's logical that God is grand, great, and wonderful, and that he's all-powerful, almighty, holy, holy, holy. But wouldn't it help if we meditated upon it and cultivated that, saw the shadow box in our life, saw and were reminded by the piles of stones, this is who God is. This is what he has done. He has never failed us. His mercy endures forever. Now, when the music begins, we are ready to declare. Selah. So, of course, in the Psalms, you see this flow. Pause, consider, remember this. Hold on to that. Don't let it go. It's a great word, by the way. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that a great statement? So as we are preparing our own hearts today, I want us to actively engage in the art of remembrance. Remembering takes work. It takes effort. And for whatever reason, we don't really like to have to put in effort into really anything. 
And you know, it, it talks about the sluggard that even struggles bringing the, the piece of bread to his mouth. It's like, oh, that would be so hard. He's hungry, but oh, it would be really difficult to bring that bread all the way from the table to my mouth, and then I have to chew it, and then I have to swallow it, and then I have to digest that bread. Oh, oh, the labor. And that's about what it's like with remembrance. It's not that much work, and it's going to be so beneficial when you do it. If you've ever noticed, and I don't know if you've ever gone through this process, but when you begin to exercise, it's really hard. When you're ever trying to get in shape, it's hard. But then when you are in shape, you actually love it. It's, you actually can't wait to get to the exercise because you are in shape and you want to increase that. The same is true with getting the ground in any one of these disciplines. When you first start trying to be still before God and just wait on him and listen to him, oh, it's painful. But when you get into that groove and you feel comfortable and acclimated to being still, it's like sucking on candy spiritually. It is just glorious. It's like heaven comes down. And the same is true with studying. When you first start studying and observing the text of Scripture and looking deeper, it's like, ah, this is like work. But when you start finding gold, believe me, no one's twisting your arm to go study. You want to study. Hey, Eric, could we end class right now? I'm really tired of hearing you talk. I want to go study. And that's actually more normal in the, in the Christian life. It's like this exhortation is meant to be a lot smaller portion of our discovery. Our discovery becomes more and more personal in our walk with God than it is in a corporate sense of someone else who has found gold sharing it with us. Now you're like, Eric, I love your gold. That's great. I want to go find some too. Because now you have the hunger. And the same is true with memory. To learn to remember at first is like, oh, I have to build some kind of frontlets before my eyes and I have to bind something to my hand. Oh, I, I need to like journal and write a little pile of stones here. It's like, oh, that sounds like work. You start doing it and then you start seeing the faithfulness of God and you start reflecting back upon what God has done. You see it and you're reminded of it. Like, oh, it's energizing. Now you want to write it down. Now you want to capture it. Now you want to memorialize it. All right? Let's pray. Father, teach us to memorialize. Teach us to remember. Teach us to be thoughtful. Teach us to consider. Father, we need your grace in this. We want to activate. We're ready to do. We want to exercise the kingdom truths. We want to discover you. We don't want to just borrow someone else's sighting of a beautiful sunset. We want to see it ourselves. We want to behold your glory and we want to hold on to it and cherish it. Lord, we submit ourselves to you this day. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.